Last time we talked about God's role for the bedroom in the Christian home and how God uses it to draw a husband and wife closer together and, and ultimately closer to himself through the means of marital intimacy. In this episode, still working through our little room-by-room Bible study tour of the Christian home, we'll now move into the kids' rooms, specifically when they become what I want to call the proverbial woodshed as training and discipline are needed. I don't know if you've ever read the classic children's book by Laura Ingalls Wilder called The Little House on the Prairie. Set around the late 1800s, the series is is based on the pioneering adventures of the Ingalls family and and provides an entertaining picture of what life was like in in the old days on the American frontier. In one of the books called Little House in the Big Woods, Pa is bouncing his daughter Laura on his knee one night before bed and retelling the story about how once when he was a little boy, he had disobeyed his father and and learned a very valuable lesson in the process. He shared, when I was a little boy, not much bigger than Mary, I had to go every afternoon to find the cows in the woods and drive them home. My father told me never to play by the way, but to hurry and bring the cows home before dark because there were bears and wolves and and panthers in the woods. One day, I started earlier than usual, so I thought I did not need to hurry. There were so many things to see in the woods that I forgot that dark was coming, he explained. I began to play, and soon it was dusky in the path and dark in the woods. I knew that I must get the cows home quickly or it would be black night before they were safe in the barn and I couldn't find the cows. I listened, but I could not hear their bells. I called, but the cows didn't come. I was afraid of the dark and the wild beasts, but I dared not go home to my father without the cows. So I ran through the woods, hunting and calling all the time. The shadows were getting thicker and darker, and the woods seemed larger, and the trees and the bushes looked strange. I could not find the cows anywhere. I climbed up hills looking for them and calling, and I went down into dark ravines calling and looking. I stopped and listened for the cowbells, and there was not a sound but the rustling of leaves. Then I heard loud breathing and thought a panther was there in the dark behind me, but it was only my own breathing. Right over my head, something asked, Whoo! My hair stood straight on end. Whoo! Whoo! the voice said again. And then how did I run? I forgot all about those cows. All I wanted was to get out of the dark woods and get home. At last, I came out of the dark woods by the barn. And there stood all the cows, waiting to be let through the bars. I let them in and then ran to the house. My father looked up and said, Young man, what makes you so late? Been playing, by the way? Paul always stopped telling the story here and waited until Laura said, Go on, Pa, please go on. Well, Pa said, Then your grandpa went out into the yard and cut a stout switch, and he came back into the house and gave me a good thrashing so that I would remember to mind him after that. A big boy nine years old is old enough to remember to mind, he says. There's a good reason for what I tell you to do, he said, and if you'll do as you're told, no harm will come to you. (laughs) Well, I can appreciate that story, and not just because our own family is partial to the whole pioneering homesteading lifestyle, uh, but, but I appreciate that story because it reminds me of a few important realities I think all parents should be able to relate to. The first thing the story makes me think about is the high expectations parents evidently had for their children in the old days, and in comparison, the relatively low expectations parents seem to have for their children in modern times. 
I mean, here's a nine-year-old boy, right? Responsible for putting up the cattle every night. Nine years old. And and I'm sure that wasn't even the only chore he was expected to do. Uh, That that was just something the book says he did in the afternoons. I, I imagine he had plenty of other chores that occupied his time in the morning hours. It's as if a parent these days feels they're robbing their kids of their childhood somehow if they have to ask them to pause their Xbox to unload the dishes. There's no question how a parent's expectations for their kids, including at what age independence and personal responsibility is taught, uh, is something that has gradually laxed over time. Another thing the story reminds me of is the natural tendency of kids, in, in, in any generation really, to disobey their parents despite the warnings. Paul had been warned by his father that the woods are dangerous after dark, so get the cows in on time. But what did the boy do? He started playing and he lost track of time. And and that kind of disobedience isn't unique to that child's generation or to our own. But kids are prone to disobeying their parents um, and have been prone to disobey their parents ever since Cain and Abel. A third thing the story shows is the importance of discipline and instruction, ultimately for the protection of the child. Think about it. Why did the boy get a thrashing when he got home late that night? Well, Paul explained it was because he could have been mauled by a bear. The discipline was for his protection to serve as a a kind of deterrent for taking such risks in the future. Why bother retelling the story to his own daughter decades after the fact? Well, he tells the story again as a preventative measure lest his, his daughter make similar mistakes. Of course, in this episode, the point isn't to talk about the Ingalls family or the experience of God-fearing pioneer families in the good old days, but the experience of God-fearing families in all generations. And since this is meant to be a Bible study lesson, I I want us to, to look at a portion of Scripture that gives us a good parenting model. Actually, I think what the portion gives us is a bad parenting model, uh, but it gives it to us to help us infer by its poor example what a better parenting model should look like. At the beginning of 1 Samuel, we're given the story of Eli the priest who served with his sons in the tabernacle at Shiloh. His sons, who were told, turned out to be quite rebellious and, and who were also told were not disciplined to the degree they should have been disciplined by Eli their father. We're also told around this time a young boy named Samuel was dedicated by his mother Hannah to the Lord's service, uh, which amounted to a kind of apprenticeship with Eli at the tabernacle. So while Eli's own sons were busy getting into trouble, uh, Samuel came alongside Eli as a kind of adopted son who truly took his time of discipleship seriously. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, the text says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli again and said, Here I am, you called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. 
So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed. He failed to restrain them. I know there's a lot to unpack there, as well as in the surrounding context. We really don't have time to to go through every part of it, but, but I do want to point out three things worth mentioning. The first thing to point out as as a kind of undercurrent to the whole passage is God's high expectation for his people. Of course, when we think about having high expectations, especially when it comes to our kids, we usually think of things like having good manners, right? Saying yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, not eating with your elbows on the table, boys, remembering to put the toilet seat down, (laughs) Or or, or we think of things like life accomplishments such as getting good grades or winning awards or getting into a good college or having a respectable career. And while it's fine to have all of those kinds of goals for our kids and even to have those goals for ourselves, the kind of expectations God wants us to have are so much higher than those. Leviticus 19 tells us just how high God's expectations for us are. Leviticus 19.1 reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Therefore, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Holiness. Nothing short of holiness is God's expectation for his people. What is holiness? Well, the word holy literally means to be set apart. For Israel, that meant being separated from all the surrounding nations, including Egypt and the Canaanites and the Babylonians. It was to be different than all the other cultures of the world. Different how? Well, different in that Israel would exclusively serve the Lord and find their hope, their salvation, their purpose in Him alone. And, And did you notice, as a means to impart this holiness, children, children, were expected to revere their parents. I assume that means parents were expected to parent in a way that warranted revering and which imparted holiness. Both parents and children had a responsibility in passing down a legacy of holiness from generation to generation. That included Moses' generation and then Joshua's generation and on and on through the period of the judges until the days of Eli and Eli's sons. By the way, the fact that Eli and his sons were priests should have meant God's high expectation was revered all the more. According to Leviticus, priests had to take special steps to ensure they kept themselves holy, not only to be a good example to all other Israelites, but because of their sacred service in the tabernacle and later in the temple. These men, practically speaking, were stand-ins between God and man. They were mediators, if you will. They were the ones who sought the Lord's favor on behalf of the people through the sacrificial system and and all the ceremonial practices. Well, on and on this expectation was passed down from parent to child, generation to generation, on through the days of the kings of Israel into the days of of the dispersion and up to the time of Christ. 
Believe it or not, it's, it's the same expectation now given to the church and to all Christians. Peter would later write in the book of 1 Peter, quote, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Later he says, For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. Folks, all of these passages I'm I'm reading to you should reform how we think about parenting. What should our expectations be for our kids? I argue our expectations should be nothing less than God's expectations for our kids, namely holiness. Lives that are God-honoring, that is the biblical parenting objective, as it always has been. Unfortunately, as we're going to see, it wasn't the objective Eli kept for his own sons. A second thing to notice in all of this is man's natural tendency to disobey. While we need to have high expectations for our kids that mirror the Lord's expectations, at the very same time, we can also expect that left to themselves, they won't be living up to that. The fact is that all of us are, including our children, sinners at heart. It's the reality of what we call original sin. David recognized this hard truth about himself in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, no one had to teach us how to sin and disobey. We're all born doing so instinctively. I think it's interesting how one secular writer has observed speaking on a child's natural behavior, quote, when it comes to rearing children... Every society is only 20 years from total anarchy. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing the infants who are born into our midst each year. These savages know nothing of our language, our culture, our religion, our values, and interpersonal relationships. The infant is totally ignorant of democracy, respect, decency, honesty, customs, conventions, manners. The barbarians must be tamed if civilization is to survive. Obviously, as as we've already said, the Christian goal isn't just to civilize our kids, but to sanctify them. But I suppose the point is, we're neither born sanctified, nor are we born model citizens. We're born sinners. We're born barbarians. It's just what we are. It's what our kids are. Despite what you want to believe, they aren't perfect angels who do no wrong. They are little devils poised to rebel against you. And we have to put it in those terms because otherwise we'll start to look at our kids' disobedience and we'll call it cute or we'll call it so independent of them. No, no, it's not cute. It's not independence. It is sin. It is rebellion. And if we don't call it for what it is, Our kids will grow up, and instead of playing late in the woods one night, forgetting to bring in the cows, they'll do a whole lot worse than play and neglect something a lot more important than cows. Again, think about Eli's sons, whose whose names were Hophni and Phinehas, by the way. We're not told about the kind of mischief these guys got into when they were young boys, but we are told about the kind of mischief they got into as grown men. 
1 Samuel 2 verse 12 describes them as having grown up to be, quote, worthless men. Worthless. That, that doesn't sound very good. And, and it's not good. But it's being called for what it is. They were worthless. We're told in verse 13 that, that one of the sins these men were guilty of was abusing their privilege as priests by treating the sacrificial meats like, like some men treat the cooling turkey on Thanksgiving. The text says the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in hand, and, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Verse 16 says, and, and if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. <laughs> I just envisioned two adult slobs here pushing their way through the line, not being patient or thankful for what they're given, but rudely demanding whatever they want. That's Hophni and Phineas acting like a couple of ogres. Even more seriously, we're, we're told in verse 22 that another sin these men were guilty of was outright profaning their position as priests by sleeping with some of the women who also served at the tabernacle. And, and yet they called themselves priests. And Eli went on calling them priests, never confronting them in their sin, even into his old age. The text says his eyesight began to grow dim so that he could not see. Evidently, Eli had become an old man and still wouldn't say anything to his boys about their behavior. The way God puts it is his sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. And the scary thing is, judgment awaited. That the mantle of priesthood would, would soon be stripped away from Eli's family, hence God's preparation of the young Samuel to soon take over after Eli and his sons uh, are, are killed in a dramatic series of events. That's all in 1 Samuel 4. All of that is the sad result of a family's ignoring the problem of disobedience in the home. And obviously, that example shouldn't be one we imitate. We don't need to let our own kids go off the rails and watch their behavior spiral out of control until they become adults, all the while refusing to open our mouths to correct them, even as we ourselves grow old. And so, finally, the third thing to mention is the importance of God honoring discipline and instruction in the home. Uh, ideally to be practiced as early as possible as a means of restraining our children from evil and imparting holiness to them. When I use the word discipline, what I mean by that is good old-fashioned take them to the woodshed corporal punishment. Granted, I'm not talking about anything ever abusive, but, but rather something clearly consequential. Discipline isn't discipline if it doesn't plainly impress the painful effects of sin and lawlessness. According to the Bible, the ideal instrument to make that happen isn't the timeout chair, but it's the paddle, it's the rod, as Proverbs 13.24 puts it. By the way, in case you're worried about politically correct groups coming after you for spanking your kids, the last time I checked, spanking is still legal in all 50 states unless done abusively. Just just be careful in, in, in how you correct your children in public because there will always be those false witnesses out there who like to put a spin on things and, and accuse you of wrongdoing. 
When I use the word instruction, on the other hand, you know, discipline and instruction, what, what I mean by that is the proactive training of our kids rather than the reactive training. What I mean by instruction are those wholesome bounce them on your knee at bedtime opportunities or those sit with them at the edge of your bed or on the tailgate of your truck or shoulder to shoulder on the porch swing opportunities to, to share with them the lessons they desperately need to hear from you. And yes, there's an important place for both discipline and instruction. Thinking back on the, the Laura Ingalls story, there was an appropriate time for spanking and there was an appropriate time for the fireside story. Again, it's, it's sad Eli failed to do either. It, it's not until he's an old man and his children are adults that the younger Samuel comes to stay with him. And, and even then, Eli seems to take somewhat of a passive approach to mentoring the boy. Instead of sharing stories with Samuel about his past mistakes in life or, or about God's high expectations for them as priests, Samuel has to hear about it directly from God. Honestly, I think it would have been nice had he been able to talk to Eli about such things. At least Eli had the good enough sense to encourage Samuel to listen to the Lord. If you can't bring yourself to talk to your kids about the things that are most important for you to tell them, at least point them to God's Word so they can hear it from Him. In our day and age, it's so common for for parents to outsource their responsibilities as parents to the public school or to the youth group or the sports coach or... Or, or to just let them figure it out on their own. I, I hope that's not your approach. I hope you take a more active role in training your kids. I know for Amy and me, we feel such a heavy responsibility to work with our kids as often as we can while we have them under our roof. Um, and, and it's not because we buy into the whole helicopter parenting philosophy. You know, personally, I believe good parenting seeks to raise a child so that they can live independently and to adopt their own relationship with God. Sometimes too much oversight can be counterproductive. But at, at the same time, good parenting also seeks to train children effectively. So we can, with confidence, let them live independently and have their own relationship with God. And so, while our children are still young, Amy and I try to be very deliberate to have our kids shadow us as our own little apprentices. Whenever possible, I'll encourage my boys to to tag along with me as I'm doing certain projects around the farm or at the church or or sometimes even at the office. Amy will encourage our daughter to, to stick close to her around the house as she goes about her different responsibilities. We'll try to be transparent with them and and share stories about times we've sinned and how God has helped us to repent. If they've seen us sin more recently, we we try to be sure to confess our wrong to them and and let them see an example of repentance. Whenever they've disobeyed, if discipline is needed, we'll take them privately into a back room and calmly explain what we've witnessed and and why correction is needed. We'll, We'll then give the appropriate number of swats called for. Many times our rule of thumb is to to base the number of swats according to their current age. So if if you're four years old, you'll get four swats. If you're seven, seven swats, ten, ten swats. Ideally, the the older they get and, and as the consequences for their disobedience gets more and more severe, by that time they're not getting into as much trouble and uh, you're, you're not needing to discipline them all the time. 
Then after those spankings, we'll wipe away tears, we'll give hugs, we'll, we'll talk about how this is yet another example of why we need Jesus, who took our ultimate punishment because of our sinfulness. As much as we try to be good, we're all sinners at heart. The point of the law is to show we fall short and need a Savior. In other words, we try to turn the discipline and instruction moments to to point our kids to Christ. Why? Because the only way they will ever live up to the holy standard God expects of them is by Jesus' merit, not their own, and by Jesus' transforming work to make them what they cannot make themselves. That's the ultimate goal of good parenting. I hope you can learn from the example of Eli who who missed the precious opportunity of discipling his kids and to some degree in discipling Samuel. My encouragement to you, whether your kids are young or old, is to speak truth to them. Don't be content to simply leave them alone in their beds at night to stare up at the ceiling to figure all these things out on their own. Yes, the Lord can certainly speak to them and disciple their hearts without you, but but that shouldn't excuse you from taking the time to sit with them on the edge of their bed and, and to personally talk them through the Lord's will for their life. Obviously, you you have more freedom to say what needs to be said while they're still young, but looking at this passage, I think God was just as disappointed with Eli for not saying anything, even into his son's adulthood. And if you think you've wasted your chance with your kids, and and, and hopefully there's still opportunity there, but but if you think that ship has sailed, uh, find a young Samuel in your church and seek to mentor them in all the ways you never mentored your own kids. If you want a passage to encourage you in that, uh, I can point you to Titus chapter 2. So whether it's your own children or your grandchildren or, or one of the young people in your life, pass down a legacy of holiness and point the next generation to God. I'll leave it there. The next episode will will be the final lesson in our series on the Christian home. If you haven't already subscribed to our channel, I want to invite you to do that. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless. Thank you.